Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas where I live. Christmas tree lots are popping up around town. My neighbors are busy inflating giant Santas and snowmen in their yards. Sparkling lights are strung from tree branches and the eaves of houses drip with lighted icicles. Some are taking a more religious approach and constructing life-size manger scenes in front of their houses. And of course, we're being assaulted by a barrage of super holiday sales offering increasingly large TVs at insanely small prices. Yes, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But let's focus on the religious run-up to Christmas. Although Christmas comes around every year, Most of us can use a refresher about what the holiday is all about. I wanted to spend my time this week looking at the Christmas story and the events leading up to the birth of Jesus in the Bible from a slightly different perspective than you may be accustomed to. But if you stick with me, it may give you some insights that can make your Christmas celebration more meaningful. The focus of the Christmas story is, unsurprisingly, the birth of Jesus. The baby from Bethlehem takes center stage this time of year. Jesus is surrounded in the story, as we represent in our nativity and manger scenes, by a cast of supporting characters, including Mary, Joseph, three wise men, and a group of shepherds from a nearby pasture who encounter a sky full of angels. But if we focus solely on these characters who were present at Jesus' birth, we're missing an important dimension of the story as the Gospel writer Luke tells it. That other dimension of the Christmas story is the birth of John the Baptist. In the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, where we get most of our information about Jesus' birth, the births of Jesus and John the Baptist and their families are inextricably entwined. In fact, their whole lives would be entwined. It reminds me of a visit to a candy cane factory that I made many years ago in Sweden. The candy maker crafted the candy canes by hand using a traditional method. I watched as a batch of molten peppermint candy was divided into two parts, half of which remained white, while the other half was dyed bright red with food coloring. Each half of the candy was kneaded, folded, and pulled until they formed two long strands. Then two workers grabbed the strands by their ends and twisted them together to form one long striped rope that was then cut into sections, which were bent into canes and left to dry. Voila, candy canes. Well, think of the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus as those two strands of a candy cane. Beginning before their births, God twisted their lives and their fates together. They would be born within months of each other, and they would die about the same age at the hands of the same people. It appears that John was executed a couple of years before Jesus. So let's look at how their lives are intertwined and what that means for our Christmas faith. Let's, let me begin by reading you the story of the dual birth announcements 
of John and Jesus. The story is in, um, recorded in Luke 1, 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Here ends the reading. We're all familiar with the story of the miraculous conception and birth of Jesus. His mother Mary was a virgin and Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He would be called Son of God. But what about the birth of John the Baptist? About the same time that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary to announce Jesus' birth, an angel also appeared to a Jewish priest named Zechariah to announce that his wife Elizabeth would also have a child. The only problem was that Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing age. They'd given up, just like Sarah and Abraham. Zechariah was skeptical, and who wouldn't be? And so the angel struck him, unable to speak until the child was born. Mary and Elizabeth cross paths while they're both pregnant. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, perhaps to seek some advice from, about her pregnancy from her older relative. And this is what we read. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Here ends the reading. So there you have the setup of the story. Two expectant mothers, one a young virgin, the other too old to have a baby really, 
told that the babies to be born to them would change history. They would be holy. Although the stories and lives of Jesus and John would be related, each of their lives served a different purpose in God's plan for humanity. Let's look at each of their lives individually, beginning with John. We get a preview of John's life from this song that his father Zechariah, a priest in the temple, sings when his child is dedicated. And you, child, would be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, and through the tender of mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here ends the reading. John was born to be a prophet to the people of Israel. For him, the promise of salvation would be realized by the people repenting of their sins. In doing so, he would be opening their hearts to accept Jesus into their midst. He fulfills that prophecy by going out to the Jordan River to gather people to be baptized. Now, this baptism is not the Christian rite that we celebrate today with our children to bring them into the Christian faith. That baptism did not exist yet because Jesus had not yet died and been resurrected. Instead, John baptizes with a baptism of repentance. Luke writes, Then John said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to free from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors came to be baptized. And he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what's appointed to you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, Jan, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. 
Here ends the reading. John's was a message of what we would call social justice. It was God's purpose to do away with trampling on the rights of the poor and thinking only of ourselves. That was not the way society worked at the time. The rich and the powerful, including the religious establishment, were looking out only for themselves. Instead, they were to share what they had, including food and clothing. His prophecy came with some teeth to it. Those who continued in their evil ways would be like wheat chaff, which is swept up off the barn floor and thrown into the fire. John's message is more openly wrathful than Jesus. Although Jesus had his prophetic side to his ministry as also, and he was not afraid to talk about judgment. But let's talk about Jesus. One of the most beloved parts of the Christmas story, which has been reenacted on Christmas Eve by generations of preciously costumed children, the angels make announcement confirming who this newborn child in Bethlehem was destined to become. Luke writes, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, before behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see, as opposed to John's dire prophetic message, the angels definitely proclaim that Jesus' birth is good news for all the people of earth. They bring tidings of great joy. There is a promise of peace on earth. Just as John had a song about his fate sung during his dedication, so did Jesus. A priest named Simeon presided over Jesus' dedication when he was eight days old. Simeon had been promised by God that he would not die until he witnessed the birth of the Messiah. And he stood over the baby Jesus in the temple and sang, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. The stories of John and Jesus converge at their ends. John is arrested for inciting a revolution and thrown into jail. He is then beheaded by King Herod at the whim of his wife Herodias. His story ends there. Jesus, of course, was crucified under the direction of Pilate and the high priests for much the same reason. He was stirring up trouble among the common people. His story continues on, however, when he is resurrected from the dead and it continues to serve as a symbol of eternal life for us today. Our Christmas traditions celebrate both the legacies of John and Jesus as far as John goes, our world, world is full of examples of peaching, people reaching out to help the poor and the homeless with food and clothing. Food pantries hand out holiday baskets, and many churches hold free meals 
during the holidays. Charitable organizations collect clothing and coats for those in need. Christmas is a time when our hearts are opened up in love and compassion, if only for a moment in a small way. The story of the birth of Jesus opens our hearts in a different way. As we gather for worship and assemble as families, we are for a moment reminded of the hope for peace on earth. Our hopes and fears are put into the perspective of the promise of eternal life that the birth of Jesus Christ ushers in. If we listen closely enough, we can hear choirs of angels singing, Christ our Savior is born. Make this Christmas a candy cane celebration for you and your family. Think of the cry of John the Baptist calling us to establish justice and peace on earth. And picture the babe of Bethlehem who has come to save you and give you eternal life. Amen. Thank you for joining me. May you experience all the joys and blessings of this season that it has to bring. Prepare your heart for a Merry Christmas.